Charlie, and welcome to the podcast that's about to take your faith on a delightful and slightly unpredictable journey. That's right. It's time to dive into the world of messy antics. Now, if you've ever found yourself caught between the matzo cracker and the communion wafer, you're in for an absolute treat. We're here to chat about all things messianic and Torah, and let me tell you, it's a roller coaster of divine proportions. Think of us as your trusty guide in this biblical amusement park. We're going to explore the highs and the lows, the holobread wins, and the wandering in the wilderness fails. Get ready for... So whether you're a seasoned sukkah assembler or you're just wondering about what on earth is a mezuzah, join us for some laughter and maybe learning a little bit about this holy chaos. After all, life is messy and faith is full of antics. Well, my husband and I had the privilege of spending some time with Matt Napier today, just getting to know him. But before I uh, have him jump on, I'm going to let you know a little bit about him. Matt has been a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for many years and has been on the Torah observant path since 2007. He's one of three community pastors at Lighthouse Messianic Fellowship in Monroe, Louisiana, and they have been ministering to Monroe and the surrounding area since 2016. Matt is really engaged with the greater Messianic community through Messiah meetings, multiple Sukkots, and other speaking events. He has a heart for building bridges across denominational lines, and he helps lead several in-depth Bible studies with other churches and groups in his area. Matt loves to draw on historical records and first century context in search of deeper aspects to the biblical narrative, especially in reference to Messiah. Matt graduated from the University of Louisiana at Monroe with a degree in social sciences. He then went on to earn a master's of arts in biblical studies from Ambridge University and is currently a PhD candidate at the same university with an expected graduation in May 2024. His focus later in his education has been on literary criticisms, Hebrew poetry, and the prophets, and his dissertation focus on comparing the Hebrew and the Greek texts of the book of Micah. Let's just go big or go home, right? <laughs> he recently retired from the army after 22 years of service, and he is currently the rec- director of workforce education and recruiting at Louisiana Delta Community College. He married Melissa, the absolute love of his life, and true Azair Konegdo in 2008. And they have three beautiful girls and two handsome boys, Mariah, Maya, Michaela, Malachi, and Michael, along with a poodle named Molly. Matt, thanks so much for being here with us today with Messy Antics. Hey, thanks for having me. My, my second daughter would be very upset that I didn't include her guinea pig named Malcolm. Oh, so, love that. Malcolm. Hello, Malcolm. We want to just honor you today. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, what a great testimony. And and I love that you're jumping into the book of Micah for your dissertation. How did you pick that? Well, uh, to be completely honest, I wanted Malachi, but one of my uh, uh, peers uh, doing a similar study at the same university, he just graduated uh, this past May, was doing Malachi. And so uh, I picked Micah mainly because of uh, the poetic nature it's seven chapters of poetry which is really my focus um it's really tough <laughs> Hebrew poetry is really tough it's not it's not easy at all and um so and of course it started with an M so well of course it had to start with an M okay so I want to hear how did you come and I'm sure everyone else wants to hear how did you come into all this Torah stuff yeah sure absolutely uh again thanks for having me on and um you know I came into this 
somewhat organically. Um, I had become a believer after a deployment to Afghanistan and um, some different things. I, I really uh, realized the, the call that God was trying to, you know, um, he, I tell people he chased me down, you know, that's, <laughs> I don't know if you know that feeling where you're trying to run from God all your life and you finally realize like he's running after you. And that's a very emotional uh, feeling to know that the creator of the universe sought you out. And um, so I surrendered my life to him. And um, later on, I just realized that there was so much more to our faith than what we know. Um, had no idea what it meant to be messianic or no idea what it meant to to know the things that we're you know, here to talk about. But um, I just was sitting on a park bench in West Monroe and one of my favorite places in the world. It's a place called Corley Park. And just reading the Bible and just praying. I, I was there for hours praying and and asking God, please reveal your whole truth to me. I want to live exactly how you want to. I don't want to live this uh, cookie cutter Christian life where, you know, I just show up for church on Sunday. And so um, he, he uh, upheld his bargain and, and I committed that day to follow after him and never look back. And I've uh, thus, far, thus far because of his faithfulness and his grace and mercy, I've been able to, to do the same. You know, I was going to a Methodist church and and had struggles there, you know, had some conversations, uh, nothing like what most people think of Messianics. It really was just, hey, you know, I have some questions here, not even about the Bible necessarily, um, but just about God in general. And I kind of got an answer of like, you know, I'm, I'm a preacher, not a pastor or, you know, well, just pray for that and God will help you through that. Th mm -hmm. There wasn't much of a community and, and I don't mean that to shame them at all. And I would never name them, you know, um, who knows? I think at that time it was just uh, something that led me on this path. It was a catapult. And so I had two other friends. They're, they're older. I've always uh, hung out with older people, even in high school growing up. And then uh, when I met Melissa, uh, she kind of told her mom, like, man, I, he's really great, but he hangs out with some old people, you know? <laughs> Uh, just some really good mentors. A friend of mine was running a Christian radio station. And so I, I, I met him through that, just stopped by and was like, Hey, love what you do here. Wanted to give some support. And he's like, well, have a seat. Let's talk about the Bible. And that kind of turned into a Bible study on Sunday afternoons between, uh, him, myself and another gentleman, um, and their wives. And, uh, we would all go to three separate churches. And then Sunday afternoons, we would, we would kind of meet and study, and organically one day, you know, Bill, uh, he still goes, excuse me, to our fellowship. And he said, I think we should be doing this yesterday, meeting together yesterday. And we had no idea what he was talking about. And um, he said, uh, you know, the Sabbath, the, the Bible has a lot to say about the Sabbath. And I live in Louisiana where nothing's kosher. Uh, I was just this weekend, my daughter had a school function on Friday and my aunt lives down south in Lafayette, which is like Cajun country. We went to a festival at Cadian and uh, nothing to eat anywhere. So <laughs> that's just how we live. And so we have this local pizza place. So a few months after the Sabbath conversation, I'm eating pizza and I order what's called Sweep the Swamp. It's like a supreme pizza with everything on it. But then during the season, they add crawfish and shrimp and alligator or whatever. And my friend's wife said, uh, you know, you shouldn't be eating that. And she was vegetarian. And I was like, oh, no, I, I think God really gave us animals to eat. It's OK. And she's like, no, no, no. Uh, she said, my husband has a book that he's too scared to read. It's called Why Christians Should Keep Kosher. And I said, well, give me that book. I'll, I'll read it. And uh, my grandmother was in the hospital at the time. And so I, I took the book that night 
and um, went to the hospital. I kind of had the night shift. I would I would go to work during the day, and my uncle would would come there, and then I would show up and stay the night with her at night. And I couldn't put the book down. I read it. It was kind of an easy read, and um, I was trying to remember the name of the author. It's called Walking the Light series. Um, he's a an attorney in New York. Uh, it'll come to me in a minute. Todd, I'll make sure uh, we put that in the show notes too. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, I couldn't put the book down. And when we did our change of the guard with my uncle in the morning, we would eat breakfast down in the uh, hospital uh, cafeteria. And I ordered my usual bacon and eggs and whatever else. And I took one bite of bacon and nearly threw up. And that was kind of the beginning there. And the, those few months between the Sabbath conversation and this kosher book, uh, Todd Bennett, that's his name, Todd Bennett. And um, those books are really good. They're very easy to understand, palatable to all uh, you know levels of understanding. But uh, that kind of started with where we're at, and that's kind of what got us on the on the on the messianic track. So, Matt, I truly love your love for the church and the interdenominational love that you have for the body of Yeshua Messiah. You know, a lot of times we'll hear people talking about the church like it's the ex-wife or the ex-husband because of their trauma. And I just really appreciate your love and your care for all God's people. We get to remember that becoming holy or be holy for I am holy really in the Hebrew perspective of that is a becoming process. It's not something that automatically happens. It's a becoming holy. So in that becoming holy, things can get a little bit messy. So Matt, tell us about a time when things got a little bit messy for you. I, um, I don't know. To be, you know, full disclosure, I was the tour terrorist or whatever you want to call it early on. So uh, I had a, a process of humbling that happened for me later on that really brought me to where I'm at That's uh, that I'm super grateful for. And it's been uh, phenomenal to help build relationships with with me and other people in the community. But um, a funny story, I don't know, I'm trying to think about um, a funny story for myself. Wasn't necessarily um, with me stumbling on anything in this walk. I may come up with something before we finish. But just the messiness of messianics. Um, my friend, Matthew Vanderells, I don't know if you know him, he's a pastor and um South Carolina. He is uh, with Founded in Truth Ministries. Um, probably my best friend. He he drove down here when I retired, surprised me, and took me on a trip, skydiving, all kinds of stuff. Wow! But um, so we do this thing. His family and mine. We we live twelve hours apart, but when we get together, we boondoggle, which is like uh, old old word about uh, taking trips uh, that have no purpose, but other than just for the sake of the trip. Um, so we'll just, you know, I remember one time I helped him put on a Hanukkah conference and we just, I was heading back home. I come through Atlanta and we just randomly were like, hey, do you want to go to Atlanta? And we'll just make a weekend out of it. That's kind of how it started. Well, I invited him down to Louisiana and I scheduled uh, like two weeks. I contacted his board. I'm friends with him. I said, let him come down for two weeks. I'm going to schedule him some speaking engagements uh, I can also tour him around Louisiana. I love my home state, by the way. Louisiana is amazing, even as non-kosher as it is. Um, so he went across the north, which comes, I'm in the north. Uh, and then I, he went to Texas, spoke, South Louisiana. And then I met him in New Orleans. And I said, I've got this really great restaurant to go to. And it was a uh, Cajun kosher. It's a kosher deli in New Orleans. There's a, a pretty big Jewish uh, community in uh, New Orleans. And so we went there and we posted a picture 
they have kosher shrimp at the Cajun Kosher Deli. Okay. And so wait a minute, wait a minute. Cajun kosher shrimp. Okay. Keep going. Yep, yep. Kosher shrimp. And so basically, you know, what it is, they take kosher fish, they press it into the shape of a shrimp and and they have some flavoring. And it's just this really unique thing. And when Orthodox Jews and stuff come to New Orleans, they love to go there because it just doesn't make sense. And so we posted a picture and we tagged the restaurant. It's a coach, it's a certified kosher restaurant. And um, it just caused all kinds of, we about broke the internet of the Messianic world over posting a picture of some oh, shrimp cocktail. Oh, I bet. Would you do me a favor? Could you give a different, like the difference between biblically clean and kosher? Because I know personally, I don't eat kosher. I don't, you know, go to the place where I have separate dishes and things, but I do attempt my very best to eat biblically clean. Can you help us out with that? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So this restaurant is definitely, uh, it was a certified kosher restaurant, meaning, uh, you know, Orthodox Judaism, they separate milk and meat, um, and I only brought that up because not only was this a clean restaurant, it was like kosher of koshers, you know. Uh, biblical clean would just mean, you know, making sure that you're eating what the Bible says to eat. Um, throughout the years, over the um, centuries, they've uh, cultivated a, a you know kosher system of in modern day Judaism uh, that has evolved well beyond what it was in the first century. Um, even, uh, well, we won't go down that trail, but uh, today's kosher is much different. What they what they would not accept today was acceptable, you know, a thousand years ago, but Maimonides, some of their uh, leading uh, rabbis and sages that they respect. So it's just evolved in the modern world. And I don't say that disparagingly towards them. It's their way of ensuring that they have no possible way of eating something unclean so right a bunch of a bunch of fences now matt i'm going to put you on the spot here because we have quite a few listeners from again interdenominationally maybe they're not walking in you know quote unquote messianic life and and they're still saying what does it even matter what i eat because i know we believe this is not a salvation issue this is just sometimes god's best yes for us is saying no to things and sometimes we don't understand why but can you help us out a little bit for understanding wait a minute didn't peter have a dream about all this yeah that's that's a great question i i think um if i'd have been prepared i would have had a good quote for you um one of the leading probably the best scholar on leviticus jacob milgram he's uh dead now a jewish scholar he taught at a christian university and i asked him what the first class he wanted to teach as a professor there would be. And he said, Leviticus. And they just were like, are you kidding me? This is not a Jewish university. This is a Christian university. But, um, you know, his commentary, his life work is, you know, 3,000 pages on the book of Leviticus, if that tells you how intense his commentary is. Um, but in the beginning, he he talks about and relates holiness, this this process of holiness, to what it means to eat, you know? And he says, uh, what these all of these things that we do whether it's tassels or how we eat or um uh, what are you know sabbath all these things are rituals and rituals mean nothing if you don't have any attachment to it to god and so he talks about the dinner table where what's acceptable to eat for us is generally what god said was acceptable on his table aka in the tabernacle and on his on his altar and so that's the connection. And a lot of times we just see rules and regulations and really we see a bunch of, you know, blinking signs that say, no, you can't do this. When really it's God relating and saying, um, 
I want you to eat like I eat. I want your table to represent my table. And food is just the starting point. You know, I tell people I cannot stand a fast food restaurant. I, I, if I go, I will not go through a drive-through. I'll order and eat in or I'll order it to go and go sit somewhere and eat. I won't go through the drive-through of a bank because we are created to communicate with each other. We're created to speak to each other. And so the food is just the starting point. Now, you can eat kosher all day long, but if what you're talking about and what you're discoursing at the, at the, the table is un, unbecoming of a follower of Christ or, or you know a believer in Yahweh, it doesn't matter what you're eating and vice versa. If you're uh, not eating kosher, but you're building up others around you, um, you know, those things uh, can, uh, aren't, you know, we can see the picture of what's intended. So when we come to Peter's vision, that's really kind of in the realm of my education, which is uh, literary genres. Uh, what what does it mean for someone in the Bible to have a vision? Uh, and Peter has the question afterwards, um, or, or it says in the commentary in Acts, or in the narrative of Acts 10, Peter was perplexed at what the vision meant. Um, there's not a single vision in the rest of scripture. And we're talking about visionary tales. We're talking about um, Ezekiel, Zechariah, these visionary tales. It's a, it's a literary genre where uh, God or an angel or a being will take someone, uh, transport them to another place, not physically, but metaphysically. And um, nowhere is that literal. And if you want to see what I always reference people, because I'm an Old Testament scholar by education. If you want to see the correlation to Peter's vision and, and how to understand that, go to Ezekiel. And if I don't know if you remember the when, when God's telling Ezekiel, I've got this message and I want you to go and do this. And he tells him something very similar to what Peter said. Uh, he tells Peter. And he also, uh, Ezekiel responds very similar to how Ezekiel uh, with Ezekiel, he tells him to go make some bread, which is all fine and dandy. Um, Ezekiel bread, you can buy it in the store. It's not very tasty. <laughs> right. Don't we all have it? Uh, yeah. He, he, God tells Ezekiel to go make some bad tasting bread. and then, But he says to cook it on human dung. Now, what's wrong with that? One, it's just disgusting. And and two, it would not be fit for consumption. And, and Ezekiel says uh, basically the same thing. God, I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm, I wouldn't do this. And God says, hey, knucklehead, that's not what was intended by this dream. And, and he tells him what's intended. Same thing happens in, in Acts 10. So understanding, you really asked a question that gets me on my on my soapbox. Understanding literary genres, we have, this is something that's really lost in the church and, and especially in our, um, in our communities as well. Understanding literary genres helps us understand what the intended message, what's God communicating to us. And if we understand that, we know that Acts 10 has nothing to do with food and everything to do with uh, what it means for the nations to come in and be a part of God's family, which was Abraham's blessing to begin with. Amen. And what a beautiful example that we were given because we know he was setting Peter up to be able to walk in and minister to Cornelius. Otherwise, he would not have because Cornelius was not clean. And another example would be like Joseph's dreams. Joseph's dreams were about wheat and cows, but those represented people, right? So it really is all about people. I have had my zealous times, uh, like you were saying. I mean, I've ran into Easter screaming at everyone, no, Jesus would never eat spiral ham. But then his grace comes in and he reminds me, this is not about that. It's about people. So uh, for those of you walking this out, 
We understand that you do go through a zealous time, but we want to remind you today that it really is about his grace and his love and letting everybody be exactly where they're supposed to be and allowing the Holy Spirit to be the one that leads them in all truth. We're at that time right now where I just want you to get to know Matt a little bit better. And at the end, we'll tell you how you can stalk him and watch, listen to his teachings, watch his teachings. So we just have a few questions right now. So you get to know him a little bit better. Okay, so Matt, can you tell us something totally and completely useless that you still have memorized? Uh, don't judge me, but Joe Dirt and movie quotes. I can quote almost the whole movie, and that's an utterly meaningless movie. So. I love that because my next my next question is a movie question because I already told my husband, if you cannot follow me on my movie quotes, we just can't be friends even. So we had to sit and have a movie marathon so he could keep up. If you don't speak movie, then sorry. If you could see a movie again, Matt, for the first time, like you could just see this movie for the first time again, what movie would it be? Braveheart. Okay. That's good. That's a good one. So on a scale of one to five, I think I already know the answer to this one. How adventurous are you? Uh, 25. Okay. Okay. That's what I was thinking. I heard you talking about your adventure you went on with your friend. Do you follow directions or do you improvise? Do I follow directions? I'm I'm, I'm pretty, uh, well, uh, to use an army phrase, situation dictates. Okay. So if I can follow directions, I really am, um, I have a keen sense for justice and righteousness in a sense that uh, doing what's right, uh, even when no one's looking. And so that includes following directions and being orderly and uh, but situa situation dictates. So there are times when you have to improvise. improvise. Okay, Eminem, by the handful or one at a time? Uh, one at a time by colors and uh, evenly distributed and evenly distributed between the left and right side of my mouth. So uh, I'm not OCD. You just went next level, Matt. You went yeah. next level. Okay, wait. By color, <laughs> evenly distributed, not only on the plate or the area, but also then evenly distributed in your mouth. Yeah. So if I have like, um, this is so weird. I can't even believe I went here. Nobody knows knows this really except for maybe <laughs> my wife if i have three red m&ms and two yellows i'm going to eat the one that has the most first so i'll take the three red m&ms one will go to the left side one will go to the right side and then i'll cut the other one in half and put both sides and then i'll chew it and eat it and then the other ones there's two so they each go evenly you know and, and we, we can look at your bookshelves right now and i'm seeing it all makes sense now it all makes sense <laughs> I love it though, because I love your attention to detail. And so what is something that you really, really want to like, but you just, you just don't like? Uh, meatloaf. Okay. Can't stand meatloaf, but I want to, everybody, everybody raves about it, especially down here. And I can't do it. Meatloaf and llama beans. Can't do it. I live in the South. And so I can't, everybody's like, you have to like llama beans, butter beans. No, I'm sorry. What is your favorite vacation spot? Oh, man. So I used to give presentations uh, in recruiting in high schools, and I would, as an icebreaker, would ask this question. And so I have a really rehearsed uh, uh, answer. So I have inside the continental United States, outside the continental United States for work, and then outside of the continental United States for pleasure. So my favorite spot inside the United States is Maine, the state of Maine. And I know everybody's Russian to go to the state of Maine. You really should check it out. My uh, the first time I went, 
my wife's grandmother grew up there and we took her back or she she paid for everybody to go and it was a neat trip because it was her aunt my wife's grandmother's aunt my wife's grandmother my wife's mom my wife and our oldest daughter so uh so it was five generations wow. uh but Maine is amazing I'm a foodie I do not like I said earlier I can't stand chain restaurants or fast food and Maine you'll hardly I saw one McDonald's and they put it in like this colonial style house. They were trying to hide it. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not buying it, you know, <laughs> and everything there is fresh, farm to table. And so that's inside the continental United States. The, the, my favorite place that army ever sent me was uh Qatar or Qatar. Um, you know, a little bitty country uh, getting a lot of attention right now. They've had a lot of meetings with the current stuff going on in Israel with uh, either us meeting with uh Qatar or, looks like Hamas meeting with people there as well. And, uh, but really neat, very wealthy, small, uh, place, um, really neat adventure there. And then my favorite place in the whole world, I mean, is Israel. Um, I lead tours there. My, my friend and I, Matthew Vanderells, we lead tours with it's M squared. Um, uh, we have a long title for our tours, the M squared, cause we're both Matt, uh, M squared archeological and cultural experience of, of Israel just had to cancel our trip for this year because of everything going on. We usually do that in December. And so we're shifting because nobody goes, uh, at least not in our world, everybody goes to Israel, which is amazing. But now I'm trying to put together and we'll see how things pan out, put together something for next year in Turkey and Greece, doing a, an apostles tour, seven churches, revelation, that type of thing. So, but Israel for sure. Uh, I usually take someone, one of my children goes with me. So I, my third daughter, she's upset. She was going this year, uh, but best wow. place in the world. So what is your favorite place in Israel to visit? Oh, favorite place in Israel. Again, I can't answer a question straightforward for some reason. I'm a foodie, so I got my favorite food spots. I love Ruth's and the West Bank. If you go to Bethlehem, there's a place called Ruth's. She's a Palestinian Christian. And if you're not familiar, um, this will be great for everything going on right now. The word Palestinian and Hamas should not be the same. If uh, I don't know that you wanted to go here on your podcast, no, but I love there it. are no, I love it. Yeah, I have some beautiful Palestinian friends, so yes, yes, yes. go there. Uh, so in the West Bank, uh, which includes Bethlehem, Bethlehem uh, about 15 years ago was about 80 percent Palestinian Christian, and through oppression, not physical violence necessarily, but through economic oppression. They won't give them jobs. They won't uh, support their shops. It's gone down to less than 20%. Uh, the Christians have been driven out of Bethlehem. So Ruth's is this amazing, um, her name is Ruth, the owner. She's a Palestinian Christian, amazing place to eat, the best shawarma in Israel. And uh, people don't realize when they go to the shepherd's fields, that's also the same place as Ruth and Boaz. And so we do this story about Ruth and Boaz, and then we go eat at Ruth's, this lady who's in the same area. Um, and then I love uh, Beersheba. We just stopped there for lunch. There's this really cool meat restaurant, kosher meat restaurant. They have a burger challenge. It's uh, like one pound and some of the best meat in the world. So that's food, but that wasn't, that wasn't what you were asking. Um, if you're in Jerusalem, you can go to Burger Bar, which is right close to, it's in the old, uh, in the old quarters. Um, they have a lamb burger that's amazing as well um favorite place to go you know that shifts all the time it used to be um like tell dan in the north probably still is love tell dan 
Um, really love Masada. It's kind of a post-biblical site, but the military guy in me, uh, I love it. Um, and then some of the, le you know, I love Beersheba. A lot of people don't go there. They don't go south. And just for reference, like Beersheba is about 20 miles from Ophakim, which was one of the hard hit um, areas by Hamas recently. And so very, very close there, but south of Jerusalem for sure. And of course, everything in Jerusalem is amazing. I mean, it's great. Well, now you know if you're traveling, you're going to reach out to Matt to get where the best places are to eat. Okay, Matt, would you just let us know um, some parting words from, uh, from you? And then also if you would just pray over us. Yeah. Um, how can you reach me? Is that what you asked? Yeah. yeah. First of all, how um, can they reach you? Some areas they can reach you, which will be in the show. Okay. Yeah. So um, I interact on Facebook a lot. Um, so just search my name on Facebook. Uh, funny thing, I do get a lot of people that reach out about food. I will get random messages and people will be like, hey, I'm in Atlanta. Where could I eat? And so <laughs> hit me up with that. I'm here for it. I, I've got a lot of spots all around the world. I've traveled a lot. Um, but Facebook, I interact a lot. Instagram some, but not so much. It's just linked there. I've had some people trying to push me to do some uh, video content on TikTok, but I don't have much there either. But uh, mostly shoot me an email, mmnapper at gmail.com. If uh, you got some questions, um, you know, Facebook, I'm, I'm really active there. I always push people to uh, our YouTube page. So if you Google just my name on YouTube, you can see years and years of sermons in different places, mostly from our church. Um, so like, like our place on uh, YouTube, Lighthouse Messianic Fellowship. Um, and then something I, I know in our correspondence beforehand, I didn't send to you. There's a, a thing that I'm working with called Saturday Church. Yes, um, yes, it's an all yes, yes. Say that. <laughs> You're familiar with that? Or? Yeah, Ryan and I are friends. We're, we're both nurses. Oh. So we're, he's my buddy. Yeah. Oh, okay. So interviewing him yeah, so Ryan and I are really good friends. Um, Ryan and Dina Dina do a lot of good stuff together. We've traveled together. We've done some uh, speaking together. Um, that's mostly Ryan's project. I mean, he put it all together. It's really great. I just support it how I can. I, I jump on. We have, um, I forgot what it's called, Jesus in the Feast, mm -hmm. uh, which is part of the Saturday Church thing, jesusinthefeast.com. So every feast day, we put out material from me, Tyler Rosenquist, Ryan White, Dina Dye. Chris Frankie, Matthew Van Rails, a uh, lot of people. So all it's a very rebels. affordable. The Rebels. Oh, come all the on Rebels. Now. I love you all for that. Yeah. My Rebel friend. <laughs> That's it. Um, I I don't know what you're referring to. I think uh, a few years <laughs> what? ago. We, what? Did I say that out loud? What? <laughs> yeah. We had the Jesus Conference and, and people with ruffled feathers. Look, tour people like Jesus is the foundation of everything. Yeah. Can I just quickly share, there was a moment when I was struggling, like, do I call him Jesus? Do I call him Yeshua? But when I'm sad and when I'm crying out to him, a lot of times, I mean, I met him as Jesus. So I ask him, is this offending you? What do you want me to call you? And he knows me, loves me, and has my sense of humor. And he says, listen, some people call me Jesus. I'm not having an identity crisis. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Can I share? And you can edit this out. I know, you know, your podcast will be great. Can I just share a couple of things? That yeah. I think I mean, we have had, my wife and I have had so many people, especially over the past few years, um, that have had real anxiety over thinking they're not pleasing God enough by what they say and how they do things. Uh, um, one of our really close friends, I would never name her. I mean, 
ended up in the hospital over anxiety because of, of pressure from our community to say, if you don't keep Sabbath right. It's bullying now. I'm going to say it. It's bullying. They're bullied. Bullying, yes. And it's very harmful. It's very, uh, it's just really bad. And so we've got to get away, you know. Um, my background in linguistics, uh, I think four languages I've gone through for my school. Jesus is completely acceptable. That is his name. Um, in English, that is his name. Um, so I, I just, you know, that's a heart for me. And then, of course, uh, my other thing is just not looking down the, our noses at our brothers and sisters. You mentioned earlier about how I expressed, you know, m my comments towards my my previous Methodist church. Um, I tell you what, I do so much ministry with local. We do uh, retreats for men and women that are headed up by basically a Baptist mega mega church and some other churches. And what's been amazing is not only have I had the opportunity to go across and share some things. Our churches in our area, they're being influenced by each other because we're coming together and you've got a Baptist, a Methodist, and a Catholic. That sounds like a joke. Wait, it does. <laughs> leaders Walk into a bar. I mean, wait, no, wait. That's not right. And they're coming together and they're saying, let's invite 50 men to come to this retreat, share Jesus with them and see what happens. And it's exploded in our area. And so a lot of things are happening like Baptists are... Uh, you know, questioning their traditions. Methodists are questioning theirs. And you've got this uh, integration that's just happening. It's really amazing. Uh, you mentioned Doug Dynasty earlier. We do these retreats out at their camp. This is the, the camp is where we do Sukkot at, at their, um, they have a huge campground. And um, so it's amazing, but I've had these opportunities. And then on top of that, we put together all these Bible studies because we can lead people to Christ. And then if we leave them to be, we know what happens. We're, people need leadership. And so we create these Bible studies. My, my One of my really good friends invited me years ago to his Bible study, and it was all Baptist. And I thought, man, I don't want to cause any problems. And God was working on humility with me. And so I didn't say a word. And when I say I didn't say a word, it was 18 months of me showing up, hearing them talk about the Bible. We went through uh, John, Acts, Romans, and 1 Corinthians before I ever talked. And my buddy, finally, he's like, I'm kind of offended. Do you think you're too good for us to say he was like, I invited you because you have something to share. And I was like, oh, man, okay. And so then I started sharing. It was just, you know, but it was a, a work that God was doing on me to say, be quiet. Listen to what they have to teach you. Uh, listen to what, if you don't think Baptists and Methodists and Catholics have something to teach you, you're wrong. And so we eventually went back to Genesis. And they had never studied, a lot of them never studied Genesis. Half the men didn't know there were two trees in the garden. That's not a slight. That's just where we've been led not to go back and really study. We spent 16 months in Genesis, you know, one hour a week, 16 months. And then we went to Exodus afterwards. We're currently in Exodus 34. And we started in January of 2022. So super in-depth. The biggest thing has nothing to do with, oh, do they believe like me? It has to do with, they now all have the tools to study on their own. I don't have to be there. Uh, they're all, they've learned God's character. I asked them a while back, we're going really slow. Are y'all okay with it? And men, grown men, and we're in the South. These are like farmers and hunters and, you know, rough, tough men crying, talking about how they never knew the depth of God's character. And that's what's most important. So Matt, do you mind closing us out in prayer? 
Yeah, absolutely. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the opportunity through technology to come together and to fellowship in your name, to fellowship for your glory and to fellowship for your honor. And Father, I ask that you continue to bless this podcast. Let it be a light to the Messianic world, a light to uh, all of our communities to come together in unity uh, and to be able to shine your light even better. May your word be a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. And may we learn every single day through your word and through your spirit how to be better bearers of your image so that others would come to know you and want to seek after you. And Father, most importantly, give us a spirit of humility so that we would allow you to do the work that you're fully capable of while we are only willing vessels uh, for you to work through us. We love you. We bless you. We give you thanks for all things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And can't wait to see you again, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Shalom. Shalom. And that's a wrap on another Messiantics adventure, my fellow spiritual adventurers. From splitting red seas of laughter to stumbling upon mana mishaps, we've truly experienced the full spectrum of Messianic marvels and Torah tales. Remember folks, as we navigate the sometimes bewildering but always beautiful path of faith, it's okay to have a few loose ends along the way. Embracing the messiness of life is what makes our journey genuine and our connection with Adonai so meaningful. Before we go, let's take a moment to thank our incredible guests who shared their story, insights, and aha moments with us. And of course, a big thank you to you, our amazing listeners. Without you, we'd just be folks sitting in here with a microphone, and that's just not as fun. We'll catch up with you next time on Messy Antics, where the Torah is our compass and laughter is our guiding star. Stay joyful, stay curious, and may your days be filled with blessings that are as abundant as manna in the wilderness. And help us out by liking, subscribing, and leaving us that five-star review.